Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, sitting down with me, I have Coach Nick Davis. He is the defensive coordinator at Rose-Holman Institute of Technology. I hope I said that the correct way, or that's yeah. the right title. Um, it's a Division three college in Terre Haute. Uh, so, Coach Davis, welcome to my lonely podcast. Thanks, Coach Steve. Uh, it's great to be here, and I'm excited to talk some football with you. Yeah, everybody that doesn't know, I've known Nick for a few years because I coached at Charleston. He's from Charleston. Every time you recruited, you passed on through, uh, I guess, to see Moose. I don't know why. Hang out with Moose, I guess. I don't know. So if Moose listens to this, you're welcome. Don't worry. Moose is working on his starting five basketball lineup with his kids for Charleston. <laughs> um. So I haven't talked to you in a long time, so some of these are going to be figuring out what you've been up to. Um, you got married. Yeah, uh, we're uh, April 15th of uh, next year will be our uh, third year married. Oh. oh, wow. It's been a long time. I guess I haven't lived in central Illinois for a while. Yeah, the happy wife, happy life. Has it really been happy with quarantining, staying home all the time? or? Yeah, well, yeah, like. Um, with everything with COVID going on, um, we usually uh, did everything kind of together anyway. I, I generally, generally, you know, love my wife, but I like her. I like spending time with her. So we were spending pretty much all the time that I wasn't at football um, together. So it isn't too big of a, an adjustment um, with everything going on. We're, uh, um, you know, we were stuck together working from home for a while, but uh, Rose Holman we uh, we tested uh, started testing quite early all the employees, so I was able to get back in the office and do some different things um, to get out of the house. But uh, I would say our dogs were the biggest pain in the butt because they uh, like to bark. Yeah, we have a chocolate lab, and she barks at everything in our apartment. I think she's protecting it, but no, I told people that was the true test of relationships was this quarantine to see if you could handle it. Yeah. Um, we uh, actually, at one point, we brought the Indiana Dog Whisperer in um, to help us with our, our dogs because they would go crazy and stuff. So it was pro it was super expensive, five hundred dollars to get some dog whisperer to come in, but it was actually worth probably every penny because uh, our dogs are awesome behaved right now, and they're both rescues. So uh, mm-hmm. I can't claim that I messed them up. Um, they were messed up previously, but uh, uh, we got them all trained, and they're awesome dogs now. Yeah, and then lots of Netflix in this household. Lots of Netflix when this happened. Um, 
so I know you talked to me before I recorded. So people that know Indiana had high school football. What were you guys able to do? Because I've talked to some Division three coaches here in Illinois. They were only able to do certain things. What were you guys able to do ever since COVID hit? Yeah, so um, here at uh, the, the high school level, they actually played the whole state championship. Um, and there was probably 80% of the games were, were finished at the high school level, if not more, um, uh, throughout the regular season. Football-wise, um, we didn't have a spring ball like we would traditionally have. It was a lot of Zooms because we sent our kids home when everything happened in, in March. So we had a lot of Zoom sessions with the current players. We had a lot of leadership meetings with incoming freshmen because that was really all you were allowed to have until a certain point when the NCAA changed the rules in midsummer. Um, and then we were able to do some more Zoom install sessions with the whole team. And then coming back, uh, we did the phasing in for two weeks of groups of uh, 10. We were able to get, uh, that was four practices um, for our whole team. We were able to, I guess, finagle it a little bit that we could get 50 guys out on the field at once. And maybe you guys were too, but small groups of 10. And uh, we were able to do that for two weeks. And then uh, after that, we were kind of... Uh, able to do two practices of uh, 50 guys. Um, and then the biggest pain for us is the locker room. Uh, we're only allowed, uh, I think it's uh, 50 guys in the locker room at a time. So we ended up having to start practice for one position group 20 minutes earlier than the next one. Um, and there was a certain amount of time where um, between our two practices, I think if we practice an hour and 30 minutes, there was 50 minutes where everyone was at the same practice. So you could do some different crossover stuff. So we were able to get 21 um, practices in this fall. And then we kind of finished up the last practice with a uh, fall game where we pitted the guys up on teams and we were able to do that. But uh, all of our meetings were outside um, and, uh, you know, contact tracing was the biggest pain in the butt, like I told you in terms it wasn't the COVID virus that was necessarily the enemy it was the fact that if one kid were, were to get the virus or even you know if no kids on our team got the virus but they lived in a fraternity where a kid got it there's seven eight nine guys that are out for two weeks with contact tracing um so that's kind of recapped our, our fall but uh it was it's really nice um because at our level you know i got to see you know in 21 practices what the freshmen can do and there's going to be quite a few freshmen that will be able to play football for us when we have our seven-game uh, schedule um, this spring that probably wouldn't have played or wouldn't have been as big of a factor um, coming in. So I'm really excited about uh, our spring schedule, other than the fact that we open up February 27th in uh, northwest Ohio. It's going to be pretty cold for about half of our team is from outside of the Midwest. So we got a bunch of Florida and Georgia kids that have never experienced snow and they're going to be playing in it most likely February 27th. <laughs> yeah. I went to high school with someone who moved to Texas. He got married and the wife never seen snow. So they took a vacation to Colorado and they saw snow and he sent us a video of her face and it's hilarious. Um, yeah. Like February 15th is our first practice and we're going to, and then up here in the suburbs. Ooh, it's not going to be fun. <laughs> and we focused on special teams a lot during our contact days because nobody thought of it. I, I didn't think of this, like kicking a football, snapping the football in the in the winter. Like, that's huge. Um, tell your guys not to wear sleeves. Nobody wears sleeves in the snow. They got to know that. 
Oh, yeah. The, the offensive guys, they have that rule. None of those guys can wear a sleeve uh, if you're a ball carrier, especially. Um, well, an offensive lineman don't wear them. You don't need that. You don't just wear gloves. Yeah. But what do I know? Um, so when did you guys start? February 25th? Is that what you said? Uh, February 27th is supposed to be our, our first game. And then uh, we're able to start practicing really – um, once our kids come back, they're going to come back January 6th. So uh, we had all in-session um, classes in our fall. We're in a quarter system. So right now we're in the winter quarter. So our kids are actually at home finishing up. Uh, or they finished up the fall quarter here on campus, went home, and then they'll be back, which is about halfway through the winter quarter, January 7th. And uh, we're going to probably uh, – allow a week or so probably because any kids getting new tests and contact tracing. And then we're going to start up about mid January and have a month of uh, football camp, which is going to be unique. Um, we, we do have a nice indoor facility. Not, it's not turf or anything like uh, Alabama or Clemson, but uh, we have a nice big uh, indoor uh, track that has four basketball courts that we're able to reserve. But the problem is there's, you know, going to be baseball, softball, both soccer teams, us, we have a track team, um, volleyball, basketball, men's and women's, all kind of fighting over all these facilities. So I think we're going to try to get outside as, as much as possible. And I mean, obviously, the weather down here has cooperated with us, at least right now. So hopefully in January, it's cooperating like it is because it's been beautiful. We haven't even had any snow uh, really stick uh, down here. We kind of did. I know by Rockford, they had like four inches on Saturday. I think. And that was another thing I'm going to go off topic. In the suburbs, there's no, every school has an indoor track and like some type of indoor facility. And so we thought about that at Addison. We have a turf practice field. We have a turf field. There's an indoor, but we have to fight for it. So there might be times football practice is at 6 a.m. Just depends on volleyball and all that. But then I thought about like Charleston's and all of them. They're going to have to be outside the whole time. Like, well, and I think the big thing um, is no one's thinking about how are the grass field conditions are going to be mm-hmm. in January and February because grass doesn't grow <laughs> like it does, uh, obviously, in, in the summer, the fall. So um, I know my, you know, back in the day at Charleston, we played a game and it was rainy and the field was destroyed the rest of the year. Um, and that was in a situation you could actually get some grass to grow <laughs> because the weather was cooperating. Um you know, as soon as there's any sort of uh, mud on those fields, they're going to be destroyed for the rest of the, the, the spring. Yeah, or like that Charleston field, man. I love Coach Kuykendall who takes care of it, but there's only so much he can do. And I remember one year, the very first game was against Rantoul, and it downpoured for like an hour and a half. Before. We had to delay the games like 7.30, 7.45. Once it's destroyed, that Charleston field never comes back until the next year. Oh, yeah. And so I can't imagine schools that are not like Char- – because Charleston doesn't isn't rich, but they have the resources. I can't imagine, like, smaller schools in Illinois right now to have the money to fix that when it's destroyed. Yeah. And the fact that they're going to have, you know, potentially some of these schools playing soccer and, and you know, different sports, not just a, a football um, schedule going on at the same time. No, uh Illinois dropped the ball. It's a dumpster fire. I said they should have just switched the seasons. We could have played baseball and track here in the fall, and it could have gave all the kids their seasons back, like 
start it in July even and go on until November. Let them play more, have more track meets. Football could have started in March, so we don't have to, like, condense this. And then, you know, maybe switch soccer to a different time. I don't even know. But, like, but what do I know? Like, I thought that was the better way to go about it. And because people don't want to hear this, guys, and you're going to hear it. There was baseball going on all summer, and there was youth football going on all summer. There was lacrosse practices going on all summer. Like, I don't know. There's AAU basketball is going on right now. Yeah. And we can't play basketball. That was the thing with our governor. They told him it's going to happen whether you like it or not. With AAU or high school, high school, the rule was going to be you can only place these teams in like a 20-mile radius, and that's it. So we can see who was going where, and AAU's going to Indiana and Iowa and Wisconsin. Might as well let them play in high school. We can know where they're going. But that makes too much sense. (laughs) Yeah. What do I know? What do I know? There was rumblings about leaving the IHSA, too. Did you hear about that? No. Like, I don't know how true it is, but I heard some rumblings that schools wanted to leave the IHSA. So there would be no governing body to tell them what to do. And then the state couldn't tell them what to do. Uh, I know that for uh, middle school, isn't there uh, this, they're an organization in Southern Illinois that does their own thing. They're not a part of IESA. It's like a Southern Illinois middle school association or something. Yeah. Cause I have a friend that lives by Carbondale and Marion. And he was telling me like, well, one, some people don't wear masks down there and that's probably where the problems are happening. But like, yeah, he's like, there was, this going on, this going on, there's this basketball game, this basketball game. Illinois left it up to the schools. If they wanted to play basketball, go ahead. And schools voted on it, and a lot said yes, and a lot said no. So I'm even more confused. I'm like, well, what if they play now, but then the rest of us don't? So is there two seasons? Is there two regionals? Like, I don't like I don't know. Like, some schools up here wanted to play, but it was only like two or three. So they didn't really want to schedule that, like – like in the school district I work in, two of them wanted to play. There's three high schools. Two wanted to play and the other one didn't. So the ones that were going to play were going to play, but they could only play three schools. So it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And then football, just a whole other issue. You saw probably saw all the rallies, and it's ridiculous. Uh, because, you know, like Northwestern was playing and Illinois was playing, and then we're sitting here going, well, wait a minute. Youth football was going on. We were like, wait a minute. Like, we hung out at a coach's house one day, and there's a park, and we saw a lacrosse team show up and practice. We saw a youth soccer team come out and practice. And not one word about that. So that's my rant, but it was just ridiculous to see that. <clears throat> um, you know, I don't even know how you ended up at Rolls-Holman. I thought of that. I was like, when I met you, you were already there, I think. And so, like, how did you end up at Rolls-Holman? Like, from Charleston on, like, how did you end up getting there? Yeah, so uh, once I was done playing at Charleston, I uh, went and played football at Monmouth College in in Monmouth, Illinois. Um, Was there for uh, four years. My uh, senior year, I did uh, an internship at Western Illinois with their strength and conditioning program. Kind of at the same time, I did, like, a student coaching um, internship with the football program because I knew I wanted to coach football. 
And um, kind of between both of those, that uh, helped me get an internship at the University of Michigan with strength and conditioning um, that summer. Uh, everyone kind of said, you know, the way to get into coaching was to do stuff for free and do it, you know, work your butt off and it'll pay off. So uh, went up there at the University of Michigan for the summer. Uh, that was Coach Richrod's last uh, hurrah that fall. Um, but I was able to work with Denard Robinson and all those guys when I was up there. And that actually led to a graduate assistantship at uh, Ottawa University, uh, NAIA school in uh, Ottawa, Kansas. So I went out there for uh, two years, The you know, and I played D-line in high school and I played D-line in college. I get out there and the defensive coordinator said, you're going to coach the, the defensive backs. Um, and I'm like, what? You know, and he coached the defensive backs too. So he coached the, the corners. I coached the safeties. So I was kind of his right-hand man. But he's, he told me, and it made a lot of sense now, he's like, you know defensive line play. He's like, I want you to learn the back end. And um, then in year two, I'm going to have you coach the linebackers. So really until this spring, I was a college defensive lineman, um, and I had only coached on the defensive side of the ball linebackers and defensive backs. And, and actually now I'm our defensive line coach, just the way things worked out. But uh, so I spent two years at Ottawa, actually interviewed for the D-line job here at Rose Holman. Uh, me and another candidate were the final two candidates. And um, their running backs coach left at the same time. And I don't think Coach Sokol wanted to do another job interview. So he had two good candidates. So he asked me um, if I would coach the running backs. And I said I'd think about it. Went on the website, saw their running back, was a returning All-American who had like 1,100 total uh, yards. And I said, I think I can coach the running backs. So uh, my first three years here at Rose Holman, I actually coached offense. I was a running backs coach and ended up being the special teams coordinator my last two years here on offense. Um, video coordinator at the Division three level, you, you, uh, you know, wear a lot of different hats. Um, our defensive coordinator, after my third year left, um, Coach Sokol came and talked to me a little bit. And um, we're a small staff here, so our, our head coach is a full-time coach. Uh, both of our coordinators were full-time coaches, and then everyone else were kind of graduate assistant or um, – part-time restricted earning coaches. So um, there was another full-time coach on the staff. He thought I did a really nice job, obviously, I think, uh, with the running backs and being the special teams coordinator. Knew I was a defensive guy. I knew I wanted to coach defense, kind of interviewed me, um, offered me the job, and I've been our defense coordinator for the last uh, five seasons, and I'll go on my sixth season. Started off coaching um, linebackers for the first three, coach DBs the next two, and then uh, – with, you know, the way the staff works, young guy leaves, bring in a new guy. What's he best at? That guy happens to be best at uh, linebackers. We got another guy with experience on DBs. So for the first time in my coaching career, I'm actually coaching defensive line, which I'm super excited about. Um, so that's kind of my little small journey in this coaching world. So you've done a little bit of everything. On, you've done everything on defense, basically. Yeah, yeah. Coached every spot on defense and uh, – Coached really every position on the, the offense. Because when you're a, a running backs coach in Division three, there's not a lot of full-time job opportunities. So I was trying to learn as much as I could about offensive line play and wide receivers play. Um, so I could interview for all those different jobs as I was going through. So the, really the only thing that I'm not super comfortable coaching, I would say, would be quarterbacks. And I can coach them through all the reads and all that stuff and their footwork, but I'm not going to be able to teach them how to throw a football because I'm awful at throwing. 
hey, I had to coach quarterbacks at Charleston for a little bit. And I didn't have to show him how to throw it. I was like, oh, watch this kid. That's all you have to do is, all right, you see this kid? This is how he does it. Or you just show him the mechanics of actually throwing it. It's easy to coach the mechanics. Yeah. Well, Coach Steve, how far can you throw the football? And I was like, that's not important. What's important is you do this. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Or like helping out a little bit at Glombard East with quarterback here and there. I was like, yeah, don't worry about what I'm doing. You guys just, you throw it. Don't worry about it. Uh, so I talked to another Division three coach about this and another college coach. You talked about how you have to like GA, you have to volunteer in the college world to get where you're going. Because we were talking about all these recycled coaches you keep seeing, Division one, Division two, II, Division three. You think it's because people that are younger than us see that you have to do this for free or see how hard it is that they don't want to be a college football coach anymore? Yeah, I mean – I mean, people reach out to me all the time, um, high school coaches that they want to get into college coaching. And um, and I'm honest with them. I said, you know, that's great if you can get a full-time job out of it. But a lot of times um, these full-time smaller Division III um, jobs are going to pay less than what, uh, you know, unless you're a coordinator or somebody, um, than what your teaching job is. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's taking a huge pay cut. Um, to go for some of these high school coaches to go to college. And that's if you get a full-time job. If, if you're coming to Rose Holman to be a graduate assistant, you're going to get $10,000 um, stipend in your grad school, which is great. And then for actually Division three, that's one of the best graduate assistantships you can get is a school give you 10 pay for your classes and give you a meal card. Um, you're not going to find too much better out there in terms of that, in terms of graduate assistant. When I was a GA, I made $3,500 a year and had my school paid for. Some of these kids don't even get their school paid for. They pay for their, their classes themselves and get like 200 bucks a week or something. So I, I do think that, um, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. In terms of if you're a high school guy trying to break into college, it, it's tough unless you're some state champion high school head coach and the University of Illinois, you know, calls down to Rochester, Illinois, you know, saying it here right now, um, you know, and offers you the, you know, the head coaching job because you're a whatever nine time state champ and no one can beat you. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's pretty tough unless you're some head coach. Um, but even those head coaches, you know, they're probably going to have to take a pay cut to go work and be a quality control coach um, somewhere um, to get their foot in the door. Yeah. Um, uh, coach Etherton at Mount Zion, you know, he was the head coach at Milliken for a while. And then he stopped. And he's the head coach at Mount Zion. And he goes, I think I make more money being a teacher, being the head football coach. And he's a track coach. And he doesn't have all this pressure even at the Division three level. And he has nicer stuff, I think, at Mount Zion than he did at Milliken. Like, no offense to them. Like, yeah. Mount Zion's indoor facility is top-notch. That turf field is top-notch. They're supposed to get new bleachers and stuff, too, I guess. And, like, a new basketball court and all that. 
Um, it's funny you brought up Derek going to Illinois. That's all I see is I didn't bring up Derek. I said there was a certain coach. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's some guy named Leonard. There's two Leonards down there, so it depends on who you're talking about. Uh, I talked to somebody, and I guess, and this is rumor, that he's gotten a job offer before, but it was for like a position coach, and he ain't leaving Rochester. That particular coach ain't leaving his head job for a position. It's going to be OC or head coach. Uh, why don't you go for it? Just can you turn Illinois around for me? Can it be fun to watch? Yeah, you know, I'll try. I'm putting my, you know, my hat in the the, the ring uh, for the Illinois head coaching job. So, um, any uh, athletic directors out there at the University of Illinois, if you're interested in the spread defense, let me know. Yeah, don't you be running that Tampa 2 defense I've been watching. <laughs> no offense to Lovey. He's he's a good coach, but like someone, right? We need someone with Chicago recruiting ties and Illinois ties. Um, I don't know if you know Coach Lewis at Kent State. Yeah. His name has been thrown around. Uh he coached at Eastern with Babers, and when I was down there, I helped out spring ball when Jimmy G and them were there, and he's fiery. Coach Lewis is fiery. I think that'd be a good one. Besides you, of course. If they don't get you, they got to go get Lewis, Coach Lewis. Yeah, I've heard uh, Coach Monken at Army's name thrown around. Dad's the legend in, in Illinois as a high school football coach. Brother's a high school, you know, lots of ties to Illinois, and Right, uh, high school football program. So I'm just hoping that it's, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an Illinois person. I think that that's good. And it just obviously needs to be someone that can recruit, that works their butt off, bring in another great nine, 10 coaches and another 20, 30 people on their staff and, and get it back right. I mean, um, I think it's just going to take someone with a lot of energy. Who knew the glory days of Illinois football was Ron Zook? Like, when I was watching them play Iowa, they said the last time Illinois football beat Iowa was in 2008. And I was like, well, who's, oh, Ron Zook was the head coach. Like, goodness gracious. Yeah, I think uh, Illinois fans would take him in a heartbeat right now. Recently, the Coach Steve Show has joined with the Unhinged Sports Network. It's an off-the-ground sports network that has different podcasts and is playing 24-7. So it's a podcast radio type website. So every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, the Coach Steve Show will have a new episode out. And they have partnered with Fanatics.com. So what I need you guys to do is in the episode descriptions and on social media is click on the Fanatics link and go get yourself some fan gear. Any team that you want, they have the gear for. Shirts, polos, hats, pullovers that have zips, stocking stuffers, anything like that, anything. Any team you want, they have. So please just support the podcast and support the Unhinged Sports Network. Please click on the, please click on the link in the description. Please click on the link in the social media and go buy stuff. They have anywhere, anywhere. I've seen anywhere between 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% off all, all their apparel. So with sports coming back, please go get some apparel to support your team. So again, click on the link, go get yourself some gear, and thank you for all the support.
here at the Coach Steve Show podcast. We're very excited for our new sponsor for the show, the Launchpad Kickoff Tee. Pretty exciting that they wanted to sponsor the podcast and very um, excited for the opportunity to be sponsored by them. Um, the Launchpad Kickoff Tee is a very unique kickoff tee. It's, there's nothing like it. It is created so that way you can place the football however you want it. You want it to stand up higher. It can stand up higher. If you want it you know, to make it down lower to make the football be kicked off and go farther, it can do that. You want to place it to the side. You want it to stand straight up however you want. You could put it upside down if that's the thing. However you want, the Launchpad Kickoff Tee can let you do that. So if you're a coach and you have a younger guy or a developing kicker who is not reaching the end zone at all times, this is the perfect kickoff tee for you. The reason is that it gives a coach a strategic options on squibs and onside kicks that were never available before. This kickoff tee is legal for the NCAA use and for all high schools at the National Federation High School Association. The Launchpad kickoff tee, it is a game changer, guys. Having one here is a complete game changer. Check out the videos that they've posted. It's, it's amazing stuff to see what the kickers can do once they get this and get the kicking down and use this tee. So for now, what I need you to do, if you're interested in looking at it and going to buy one, please go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS. And when you buy the one T, use the code CSS to get 10% off. But also there are other options using the same link. If you want to buy two, you can get 25% off. If you think you need more and want to go buy the four pack option, you can buy three and get one of them for free. So go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS and use the code CSS and go get this game-changing kickoff tee for all you kickers and you coaches today. We're back. I lost you. Yeah. So Did I think. Call? Yeah, Illinois was calling. They were like, no, they're just asking me if I knew some guy in Springfield. <laughs> By Springfield, if I knew him. No, I don't know. Like, we stream so much for work. I work from home now for school. If my Wi Fi's on my phone, sometimes my laptop like glitches. So I have to turn my Wi Fi off and shut down my work computer. You don't realize how much internet you use until you're home all the time and you realize like your phone's pulling, your computer's pulling, your other computer's pulling. Uh, the TV's pulling because we don't have cable. It's that fire stick. First thing uh, we I, did was upgrade our internet during uh, COVID. <laughs> well, we already had fast internet, but like there's some points where it just, I thought maybe Illinois called you and you had to hop off. Like, well, hold on a second. Whitman's calling me here. <laughs> or Auburn. Auburn's open too. I, I yeah. don't know. Urban Meyer's going to go there. We all know. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it was just funny how you're seeing – I think you're seeing less and less people go be college football coaches because they see the pay. They see what they have to do. And they like to think it's what you know. And I'm like, it is what you know, but sometimes it's who you know also. Like, I told people, if you want to coach, you need to do it right away. Like, while you're going to college – go talk to the football team and just already like start helping. And then 
but you're right. Some GA spots don't pay anymore. I know at Eastern one time they got rid of it. They weren't paying them anymore, even at Eastern. Yeah, like I think at that level, they're only allowed so many coaches. And um, so they used that spot on a full-time coach or a part-time restricted earnings guy rather than a graduate assistant. So, um, no, that's it, it's very tough. And, again, it is – it's who you know. Um, you could be the best coach in America and not know anyone. And, you know, it's about – it's for the coaches, it's who they trust. Uh-huh. At the end of the day, if I'm a coach – I'm going to get a job. I'm going to bring people I trust um, to do the right thing. You know, that's going to work hard. So I think, and I think also too, it's not necessarily about who, you know, it's about who knows you um, too, as well. Like these young coaches, you know, you may not know anyone. And I think I'm a decent example. I don't know a ton of big time coaches in the world, but I'm trying to put a lot of stuff out there and promote my brand and my team and myself that other people will learn who I am um, in case there's other opportunities. So I do think that is if you don't know a lot of people, well, you need to do something where people start, you know, whether you, obviously it helps if you win state championships and you're super successful um, or you're, you know, doing something for free clinics, volunteering, going to camps. You need to do something where people start learning who you are. Um, if you don't know a lot of people. Right. Um, I had coach Joe Salas on here. Um, he's a coach. I think it's North Carolina. He's a high school coach, but he was at Valdosta state when Mike Leach was there and how mommy. And he said that he had gotten fired from some high school job. He was at, he started his YouTube channel before that. And he's put up content. One school called him. He interviewed and they go, wait a minute, we've seen your YouTube. You're hired. Like just from seeing what he was putting out there on social media. And he was like, Oh my goodness, social media is crazy. Like they know who I am just from that. And so it's funny you bring that up. Like if you're doing stuff like that, not a podcast, like what you do and what he was doing, it helps. Well, I even think what you're doing, you know, people know Coach Steve now because you're putting yourself out there. Um, whether you knew anyone in Illinois or not, now people know who you are and, you know, know what you're about. You're, you know, you have a job interview every time you have a guest on, right? I guess. I don't know. I don't. People don't know who I am, but I am shocked about people saying yes to this. That's my biggest thing. Like, I think my first time shooting my shot was Coach Kurt Hines. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And he has like 50,000 Twitter followers. I'm like, okay. And then it was Coach Mackey, and then it was, you know, this, this, and that. I'm like, they're just saying yes. I've had one coach say no because they weren't allowed to from college, and that was it. Well, I think, I mean, that's a good thing in, in coaching world that people are willing to do stuff to, to help people out. Um, and, and a lot of people don't want to say no, which I think is a great thing about our, our profession. Um, other professions, people might not want to share what, you know, they do. And I don't know if that's uh, an all sports thing or if that's just a football thing. Like, are, are basketball coaches willing to share as much as what football coaches? I don't know. I know you coach basketball. You think that's true? They basketball. I was thinking of that too. Basketball coaches share a lot because everybody does the same thing in basketball. It's very hard to go look at a team and say, we don't do that. Um, like when I interviewed for my job here, I was in football mode. So this is how stupid I am. Football, like here in a minute, I'd be like, what defense do you run? I, I, that's my first thing is like, what kind of offense do you run? What kind of defense do you run? Basketball. I brought that up and he goes, he kind of looked at me. I was like, Oh, I didn't mean to. Cause basketball, it just kind of depends. 
So I think basketball coaches share a lot more than what football okay. coaches do because there's not as – I love coaching basketball because you're always coaching. I thought of this too. On the sideline on basketball, you're coaching the whole time. Football, you have to call play, and then you're talking to your other coaches and you're trying to strategize. You're not out there yelling what to do all the time, at least offensively because you can't. Yeah. That you might be like, line up over here or move over here, and that's it. Basketball, you're doing it the whole time. And then basketball, you get to like just draw up a play. You may just think of it and draw it up, and they go do it. Football, it's kind of hard to just draw up a play. But you know who? what coaches think they know everything more and it's worse than football is track, believe it or not. <laughs> like, believe it or not, track coaches keep a lot to themselves. Okay, yeah, I can believe see that. Like, they, they figured out the training to make sure that their guy runs the 100-meter dash at the right week for a conference championship. I can see that. Yeah, like coaching track at Charleston for four years. I'm not going to call these coaches out, but like you go to certain track meets and a lot of them just act like they're better than you and like they're not going to tell you what they do or like it's my way and like they just – it's a whole nother level. I thought football coaches were bad. Track's a whole nother thing. I, there's a lot of good track coaches out there. Coach Tony Hollers over here at Plainfield North, he gives a lot of information. Um, Coach Dixon – you know, he puts out a lot of good stuff. My friend, Coach Nathan West, he's into track. He, he puts out stuff. But then there's a lot of them that think they know everything, especially pole vault coaches. No offense, but they think they know everything. <laughs> but, no, basketball, they're kind of open. But, again, basketball, everybody kind of runs everything. It's man-to-man defense. It's zone defense. It's it's all the same. Uh, Moose would know a lot more than me, but, like, some might run certain motions. Some might do this. Like, Illinois basketball does a lot of – motions and stuff and but that's about it and then duke runs set plays like that's the only difference so i mean that's a good question you're now in control of the podcast that was a good question (laughs) it's the coach davis show now it's not my show um mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner so you mentioned your spread defense. Yep. How'd you come up with a title of spread defense? Do you really want to be an offensive coach? Is that what this is coming down to? <laughs> so, yeah, we were uh, – when I coached offense, we were a spread offense. And I don't know, just coming over to the defensive side, you know, knowing the kids in the program were like, Coach Davis coaches our running backs and is our special teams guy. Like, I think they knew I played defense – in college and had coach defense, but I needed to do something that kind of separated myself or got excitement within the program. So um, at the time uh, before I took over, we were four two five um, TCU style defense. I know we were talking about TCU before the the podcast. Um, I won't get you started on TCU and, and stuff. So, uh, but. Uh, I felt that we could get more speed out on the field. Our three technique at the time, the kid who played the year before, um, he was just a big kid. And we ended up moving to offensive line. He ended up being an awesome offensive lineman. Um, we were talking track. He was a 10-time conference champion between track and football in his four-year career. Um, 
but he was just an offensive lineman. It was we were playing him at three technique because we needed someone to play at three technique, and we had a lot of talented linebackers. So we actually moved to a um, three four when I became the coach. And the one thing I'd learned at uh, at Monmouth as a player, um, similar th- similar thing happened at Monmouth. I got there. I was his high school fourth, you know, four four defensive end. I thought all I knew was how to be a five technique. Um, third day of my freshman year in camp. We scrapped the whole entire defense and went to a 3-4. And then over the next four years, we kind of sprinkled more four-down fronts in. So I knew that was hard on offenses when someone was playing kind of really two different styles, whether it be a a 3-4 or a 4-3 within a same game or even within a same drive. And then I went to Ottawa University, and we actually were a 3-4 blitzing team, but you know, our personnel the next year, we were better four down. So the defensive coordinator adapted. So I wanted to be able to use all of our speed we had here at Rose. And uh, we became a three, four, and we were a three, four for my first season, putting a lot of speed out on the field, but we weren't all in three down fronts. We'd get in four down fronts. We get in five, six. We want to present a lot of different looks to the offense. And then probably the best thing that ever happened to me was our, and it, at the time, I would have thought it was the worst, was our best defensive back hurt his knee. And we had to move a kid over from offense who couldn't catch over to defense. And that kid finished the year for us. But Coach Sokol, he was a junior. Coach Sokol, our head coach, said we could keep that kid for the next year. So we ended up having a good problem is we had five great defensive backs. So I went to the five defensive back structure. And to me, like, I have six guys in the box, whether it's four, two, three, three, a five, one, a one, five, you know, we're going to present you with a lot of different looks and uh, those defensive backs are going to be able to do stuff. So it kind of branched into a a hybrid defense where, you know, people have a position, um, a letter, but we try to teach the defense where all the defense alignment know every spot. There's some guys that are better suited for others. Um, all the linebackers know the spots. We have safeties that know linebacker play. We have linebackers that know some safety responsibilities. All the defense backs know how to play. So that was the thing is we wanted to play a, a one-gap defense, and we wanted to spread all the talent out. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting if you go and look at our statistics in a game, um, you know how in a spread offense they get the ball to five, six guys. In our defense, we don't have one guy that gets 35 tackles. Um, One guy gets five, another guy gets four, another guy gets three, another guy gets six. Like statistically, you know, our stats are spread out through our program. Um, um, So I think that's cool that everyone, you know, has a chance to make a play. You're not saying, hey, D lineman, just soak up the the gaps and we'll let this really good linebacker play. Like, hey, my my D linemen are going to soak up the one gap they own. I'm going to make the other linebacker play his gap. And if he gets a TFL, then he gets a TFL. Um, so I think that's what kind of created the spread defense. And then our kids really liked it and they grew to it. So um, I thought that was unique. And then the name was unique. And then people like you want to bring me on the podcast and talk about the spread defense. <laughs> but, um, so I think that's uh, what helped create it. And I think that's what's made it pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, I think you, when you were posting clips before, sometimes I see like one down lineman. I'm like, what is he doing over there? <laughs> he lost his mind. And then, you, but like, I started thinking about it from an offensive coordinator perspective, like, because this happened. Um, or or uh, Muhammad Seymour did this. They would just have guys everywhere. 
and my players would panic. Now, as a coach, we're not panicking. So I'm like, I know what to do, but they're panicking. Yep. So if you do that and you keep moving them, they might start to panic. Not the coaches, but that kid that's yep. playing. Well, and one thing I've learned is, like, you as an offensive coordinator, you may limit what you've done in practice because you don't have all the time, especially some of these high schools where you may only have offense on one day um, or two days a week or something. You may not run pin and pull outside zone, inside zone trap when you know a team's going to be in three, four, five, six down. Um, looks, you may want to simplify what you do because you don't have all week to practice every single look that I put out on film. And then the cool thing as a defensive guy is I have the ability to only run three down the whole entire game if I want. And you may have not even practiced that all week because you saw me in four and five and six and didn't see me in three down all season. So um, I think that's cool is our rules stay consistent, whether what down front or what coverage we're playing. Um, so we're making that offensive coach prepare for a lot and making that kid again, you as an offensive coach can sit there and draw up how to beat me. But if you haven't, trained all six of those offensive linemen to be you, um, it's going to be tough, you know, like especially high school. You got an 18-year-old next to a 14-year-old or 15-year-old. Like is that 15-year-old going to remember that one time you told them, hey, in a three-down front, this is where we work the zone versus a four-down front. We want to set the the play side linebacker to the field. In a three-down, we want to set it um, first linebacker backside on the center, you know. those kids aren't necessarily know everything that you want them to do. Um, you've probably told them that and you think they might, but the kids don't care. They don't listen. No, I know. One coach told me this, like we care about football a lot and maybe your kids do at the college, but in high school, they don't care as much as we do. Now they think they do or like, they don't know. Like when I was in high school, I knew we ran the option, but that's all I knew. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what we did. And then I started coaching. I started realizing, oh, we were a uh, power eye option team. But I didn't know that. They don't know that. They're not going to remember exactly what I said. And that's what I learned from, I'm just going to say, leaving Charleston, I learned more. <laughs> because I realized how to make my, to combat you, my offensive line rules as a run game coordinator, all my rules have to be consistent. To try to combat, no matter how you line up, you have to know this but you keep them consistent, but you're right. There may be that one time where I said, told them they line up like this. It's I do uncovered and uncovered down rule. So that one time where I might've said, Hey, if you're uncovered, you go down, not to the back or go to the backer, but don't go down or whatever. They're going to screw it up. Cause you did something. Oh, we blocked the wrong guy or we didn't get to the guy that I said. It's going to happen. Well, even on the defensive side, like, there's times that we've made and I put it in the playbook. So I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. And that messed up the offensive line. That wasn't what I intended to call. Our kids lined up the wrong way and it was, it was hard. So we try to look at as, as much stuff that is hard. And, and I think it helps that I coached offense for the first three years and coached running backs and set in meetings with, we learned everything that, you know, I I've wrote a, I had a notebook of everything that was a pain in the butt. And I'm like, when I become a defensive coordinator, you know, if that time ever comes, I want to do this because it's all a pain in the butt. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you can do enough of this within a game, um, you can win plays as a defense. And I think in today's game, you got to be able to win 10 to 20 plays by just your call on defense. 
You know, the other 80% of the time is going to be pursuit and great fundamentals and tackling. And maybe the offense gives you the ball every once in a while, you know, on, on a turnover. But you need to, to be a great defense. You got to win a play, you know, just by lining up and, and having a better call than the offense because the offense controls everything. They can They can have a really, really good call, but you schemed it up on defense and you can stop them for minus five. Uh, um, I think uh, our, uh, our assistant coach here always talks that an offense is an, an orchestra. A defense is kind of a rock band in terms of uh, that, you know, everyone on offense has got to be 11 guys got to do the right thing to gain, you know, four yards mm-hmm. on defense. One guy could do the right thing and 10 guys could do the wrong thing. And you could have a sack for minus 10. Um, you could also give up a 70-yard touchdown as well. but <laughs> Right. Uh, you don't want your corners or safeties doing the wrong thing. they got to stay the same. But um, it's funny you brought that up because Hogan, when I coached at Charleston, I wanted to be nothing but offense. That's all I knew. He goes, you're going to be JV defense coordinator, help out with varsity defense. You're going to learn defense. So I did, and we ran the 3-4. And then I went back to offense, and I was like, I understand offense way more than I did before. Because now I know when you line up this way, this is what you're doing. Like in a high school setting, not what you would do, but like in a high school setting, I'm like, when they line up this way, this is what they're doing. Now I could get crazy with the kids and be like, when they slant like this, when they do this, this is what they're doing. But now I know how to combat a defense kind of from an offensive perspective. Yeah. And some guys say like, well, look at Gus Malzahn, for example. He was a defensive coach in high school, and then he turned to offense because he's like, I understand how to attack a defense. Or vice versa, you see what you did. Some defensive guys coach offense, then when they get to defense, they're like, I understand how to piss off an offense. I understand how to really piss that guy off and confuse them. And and so it's funny how that works. And then what was I thinking? Um, when you decided to do this, because to me and some high school coaches, they may think that's confusing. Like how can you teach guys to line up this way and then the next play line up this way? maybe next quarter you line up this way, was there – how simple do you have to be or can you get real crazy? Can you get weird, especially in COVID time? How weird can you get when you want to line up so many different ways? Yeah, so kind of we made it simple. And, and again, I, I have really smart guys. Uh, engineering majors, 2.8 or not 2.8, 3.8, um, 30 average ACTs. So they are super smart. But I think the system we created – it, it's all in categories. So whether the kid's got a 30 ACT or a 16, it's all about how the coach teaches them. If they can teach them the system and it's simple, then I think it can help out. And where it kind of starts for us is in a, in a three down system. Um, our three down fronts are named after birds. The type of bird tells them what they're doing. So for an example, Al, all right is a bird that starts with an O. The O tells us that our, our our defensive end and our tackle, who are our three down and our nose, those are our three down players, our three defense linemen. It tells us that our end and our tackle are in five techniques because O tells us that they're outside the tackle, okay? The opposite of, of Al is toucan, which has a T in it telling us that that end and the tackle are inside in four eyes. Um, we can get in a goose front, which tells us that they're on the guard. So it would be a three zero three. We don't do that a ton, um, but that's going to help us here in a minute, get to a different formation for me. Um, We can 
Then from there, we can set the front to the field of the boundary. We can set it to the tailback away from the tailback. We can set it to a tight end away from the tight end to the right, to the left. Um, and all that stuff becomes game planning wise, like to get your best players matched up against their worst in the situations. So that's kind of our three down world. And then if I want to go five down, I can go goose. All right. So put my end and my tackle of the three techniques and we, we've done call uh, signals. Um, we've done wristbands. So right now on our wristband, it's going to say goose. Our Bob and our Mike are our outside stack linebackers and our three, three and our wills, that middle guy. So it'll say goose. It'll say Bob, Mike up. And that gets us into a five down front pretty easily. If you don't have wristbands, what we've done is we've yelled out our fronts. Um, I don't care if you know what front I'm in, just like an offense, you know, some like the spread offenses, a lot of times they'll yell out formations. And that's my experience here at Rhodes. They'll yell out the formation. They don't care. Um, they're going to signal in the play and all that stuff. So um, in the past, we yelled out formations or fronts, excuse me. We would signal in the movement and the coverage. If you're a wristband system, then our we have our front, we'll have our movement, and then our coverage on the wristband. All right. So we've done it both ways. Um, with COVID, I didn't want to be screaming out different 80 different fronts with a mask on. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be hard for our kids to hear that. So we went to a wristband. I was completely against wristbands. Before uh, July, I think they're the greatest things in the world because I'm able to do even more things with them. But um, but just tagging different linebackers can get different linebackers up. So we could go Al, put our end in our tackle in fives, and I can go Bob up. So we go five, a three, a zero, and a five. So that allows us to get into a four-down front um, out of our odd front. Um, so then we have four-down world. Again, I won't bore all the listeners. Um, I talk about this stuff all the time. You can ask me. But four down, um, our name fishes for us. Um, so a fish tells us that we're in a five, a three, uh, a two I, and a five. Our Bob is our hybrid guy. We can get in goldfish, puts two guys on the guards. We can get in cod. The C tells us that we're in double two I's. So it's just word association. It's categories um, to make it super simple. So I live in a three down world and a four down world. And from both of those worlds, I can get into five and six down on both worlds. So right there, that is really six different types of front families I can get into. And it makes it really simple because I've taught two families, a three down family and a four down family. From there, I can go three down, five down, three down, six down, three down, four down. From the four down family, I can go four down, five down, six down. Um, so allows us to do a lot of really cool stuff, um, but it's really easy because I'm just teaching about 10 different things and then a few adjustments and tags. And on the wristband, it's really easy because um, I don't have to come up with a bunch of unique names um, from that. But when we yelled in formations, we had a lot more categories because fruits was a six down category. Vegetables was a five down category. There were spices, which was a even front with a fifth guy walked up. So again, whatever world you want to live in, I've done both. Um, But it's just creating categories, word association. And then as a coach, you just have to teach it really well to the kids. And then when you do that, how much does it change like coverage wise or blitz wise, or just does it depend on how you're lined up? Cause like offense, 
you can call a play, and the moment you go to a different formation, it changes it a little bit, but not whole, a whole lot. Yeah, so um, coverage-wise, everything in our system um, is able to adapt. So I know some schools will, every call, they'll signal in their two-by-two two coverage, and then they'll tag a, you know, if it's trips, what they go to. So all of our, so for an example, if I wanted to play a split field coverage style defense, um, our kids understand that if it's three by one, they have certain checks that they can make. And if it's two by two, they have certain checks they can make. Now I'm not a huge, I'm more of a one high man. Um, but everything we do from a coverage standpoint is dictated off of that we are going to have a loaded box, six guys for six gaps if it's 10 personnel. Um, if it's 11 personnel, we're going to have seven guys for the seven gaps. Um, and so we're going to be stressed a little bit coverage-wise, but I've tailored all my coverages to make sure that we're always going to have enough guys in the box to stop the run. If, it, For example, one of the linebackers, because their coverage – makes them go out of the box. They'll give a reduced call to the, the, the front guys so they can then be a C-gap guy so they're not going to be in conflict. So um, that's how everything's been created to keep our, our six guys in the core. If we need to get out of that core, because in a good example, if you're playing cover three um, to three by one and your stack linebacker is inside of your boundary number one receiver, that's going to be pretty tough if you're a B or an A-gap linebacker. They can give a reduced call to get themselves out of the box um, to play that. Or the easy thing, if you have a really good boundary corner, is you can lock that side and you can play cover one, really, on the backside and play a cover three version to the field. So um, that's what I've done to make it simple in terms of coverage. And we're still doing a lot of different coverages, but every coverage became really simple. If I was changing one rule – um, you know, it wasn't what was best for that coverage or how Nick Saban runs that coverage. Um, it was how can I run this coverage um, that it's not it's very similar to the last coverage, but I don't need to change all five people's rules. It's one person's rule to change the coverage. So we try to be as simple as possible um, in terms of that. And, and we do a lot and we have really smart kids. But if you've created a system and you've tailored it to this is what I do and this is why, and this is what it's best for. Then you understand like there's certain fronts I wouldn't call with cover three, like having six guys on the line of scrimmage and playing cover three against a team that's going to go RPO slant. I'm going to give them a touchdown. I shouldn't call that. I'm, I'm a, hopefully a good coach. That's not going to call that play. I can think of some coaches I call that, but that's off recording because <laughs> I've seen it, but we'll, we don't need to do that. So with focusing on how you line up so much, what's like your core stuff, like installing, like not COVID year, like a normal year without COVID. Do you install like how you're going to line up and then just some, like you teach how to line up and then you do base coverages. Like what's your first day? Like this is what we're going to do when shit hits the fan. This is what I can fall back on. Hey guys, are you looking for something to help you get through your daily life? Are you looking for something to help you get through that extra push in the gym? Are you looking for something to just kind of help make your life a little bit easier? Are you somebody that maybe does want to go to the gym? 
or you know needs extra push during the day and don't know where to go or where to look well then you need to click the link in the description and go to redcon one redcon one is the fastest growing supplement company in the business last year they were voted best supplements at the vitamin shop and with many other awards and they're not just for bodybuilders and power lifters they are made for everybody they have everything you are a person that you know needs pre-workout with caffeine they have it you need pre-workout that doesn't have caffeine to get that extra pump they have it they have little shots of energy stuff they have meal bar replacements they have the mre uh, powder that you can make smoothies with they have your whey proteins they have fat burners that you can take in the morning they have pills they have everything that you can need great workout apparel they have workouts on there everything you need it's to have you be at the highest state of readiness it's not just for the gym goers it's for everybody looking to dominate in life so please what i need you to do is click on the link in the description and when you use the code t20 s-t-e-p-h-e-n-k-u at checkout you will get a 20 percent off now they always have deals going on so you click on the link and you see a 40 percent off or a buy one get one free with a different code that's still fine if you still use the link to go to redcon one all you have to do is put my name in the referral box, S-T-E-P-H-E-N space K-U-C-H-E-F-S-K-I at checkout to help support the show. So let's go get the high state of readiness and let's get ready to conquer this day. Yeah, well, I'm crazy. So our first day of install, even with COVID, um, was I installed every single front we were going to run. But I didn't install any of our movements with that. So, um, and, and why I do this in NCAA for the first, really the first day's helmets, um, the second day's helmets, and then you get into helmet shoulder pads. So really, before you do anything against it, you know, and I, may, I think Illinois at least used to have like acclimatization days. So we, we have that in, in college. So if you're installing your best stuff on day one, you're not really going to use it until day three. So I install our hole in defense in four days. So I install every front um, in the first day. And we do a lot of front recognition on trash cans because uh, we're not going against an offense. I install our base cover one coverage, match man cover, because that's easy because you can, hey, you line up over this guy. This guy's the post player. So it's really just how you line up to every formation on that first day from all of our fronts, from a cover one coverage. And that would be our base um, in terms of that. If I had to hang a hat on something, we're going to be in three down front and bring our Bob linebacker, which is our hybrid guy, and we can bring him anywhere. I think if you, to me, if you're a four down team and you always put your three technique to the tailback, and you always play one coverage, you're going to get exposed against a better coach. Mm -hmm. If you're going to play one coverage and you're going to bring one guy, the Bob, I think you want to be a three down team because you can bring that Bob on different blitz pass, um, which is going to create some problems um, for an offensive coordinator. Again, at the end of the day, the offensive coordinator, and I think you would probably admit this, you want to see a team that runs one coverage and one's one's runs one front all right um if you get into a guy where you don't know what their front is and you don't know what their coverage is that's how you dictate what you're going to call in that game so you have to figure out during that game what's going on um 
Some people are going to play quarters coverage the whole entire time, but they're going to mix in their fronts. Some people are going to be four down front and they're going to play multiple coverages. I think if you can do multiple fronts and multiple coverages, and I think the goal for me, and I've not been great at this, is you want to play 33% cover one. You want to play 33% some sort of split field coverage. You want to play 33% cover three because now as an offensive coach, you're like, you're trying to design things. Well, this is good for cover three and this is good for cover one. And then I run quarters. Maybe that was good for me. So I'm trying to get about 33% from three different families. Um, And I haven't been great. I got to do better because people know I want to play cover one and their slot fade until the cows come home. And at that point, it's just a matchup. The quarterback's got to be able to throw it. The kid's got to catch it. Um, But when that kid catches it and that quarterback throws it and cover one, that usually goes for 40 yards. (laughs) I was getting ready to say in high school, you want them to throw that because in high school, you're more often, you're not going to have a kid. Yeah. You want them to throw it towards the sideline because you, let me phrase that in the suburbs, you might find some of those kids. Now in small Bucktown, Illinois, you may not have that. So, but in college, you don't want that. Cause I'm getting ready to say like for you, what's been the hardest offense that you've had to go up against? Like what kind of offense gives you the most trouble in your defense? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it is like we played Mount union. They've won 13 national championships. Um, we played them two years in a row. Um, the first year we played better against them. I think our kids, um, like they just kind of lined up and played football and they were better than us and, and they kicked our butt. Um, but they just kind of lined up and played football and they had some nice scheme stuff. Um, but I think they just kind of showed up and they're like, we're going to, you know, flex our muscle. The next year they came in with a bunch of stuff that beat our scheme and they had better football players. So that was scary. Um, but I think at the end of the day, things that have hurt us and cover one are winter balls out on the edge it's matchups and it's things I'm trying to create as a defensive coordinator. I'm trying to create matchups um, within my front so I can get to the quarterback before he throws it. But I think the hardest thing for what we've done being a cover one defense are throws outside the hashes because my high safety cannot affect those throws. He may be able to catch or he may be able to to tackle that fade ball um, 20, 30 yards after it's been caught. Um, but he's not going to make a play. We're, we're one-on-one on the edge. Um, other things that have hurt, like last year, people went 10 personnel, ran GT counter. Um, we're a big spill team, so I'm spilling it, and my linebacker never got over the top, both of them, because we're getting two pullers. So that was tough. Um, you know, and for me, it's like, hey, we got to play a cover two over there to have a corner sitting for when we spill, or we got to play – some sort of spin our safety down week and do some different things. But I think if you want to live in the cover one world, it's going to be matchups. And if run games hurting you, it run games shouldn't hurt you mm-hmm. um, because you're a man for, you know, you got a guy for every gap. What hurts you is if you're not disciplined within that and the kids don't do your techniques, it's really easy to say people are going to run on you because oh, that kid didn't spill it when he, you know, he boxed it. And now there's a huge seam within your defense. So I would say on paper, run's not going to hurt you. Passes, 
um, in a game run can hurt you if the kids don't do what you're coaching them to do. Well, and then the only way pass going to beat you is big plays. It's it's going to be almost luck. They're not going to hit you to death and press cover one. Like there's no reason. Like they're they're going to take their chances. And there's been plenty of times they've thrown that ball to a better kid at receiver than I have a guy guarding them. But it, like you said, it comes down to that quarterback. At the end of the day, if he's going to complete that ball 70% of the time, we're going to get beat. We were probably going to get beat playing cover three because he was going to compete, complete hitches. He was going to, you know, digs, all that stuff. That kid's good enough in cover one. He's going to be good enough in cover three. Um, so we're, we're relying on the percentages that, man, maybe they'll throw that slot fade and catch it once, and maybe they're going to throw it another seven times and have six incompletions, and they're going to punt on third and ten trying to take that shot rather than if we were playing off man and they were going to throw a curl and pick up that first down every time when they're better than us. Or if you start lining up a little different, maybe they don't take that shot because he thinks you're in one thing and all of a sudden he wants to take the shot, but now he's too worried because you jumped into something they thought was different. Or like I said, this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think to piss off a D coordinator, you nickel and dime them. It's not big plays. It's nickel and dime them. It's, Three yards here, four yards here, two yards here, and then five yards here. Yeah, no. They, they I mean, and I, don't, I think it's going to help out. You know, a defense can't stay out there for 12 plays generally and, and make some goal line stop. It, it might happen here and there. But at the end of the day, you're offensive linemen, and I know every O-line coach, and they're going to get mad at me. They, You teach your guys to finish. But at the end of the day, like, ball's thrown – all right, the defense alignment are all pursuing, all 11 on defense is pursuing. And that offense alignment, you know, he may be covering down a little bit, but he's getting a break. Um, those backside receivers, like they may be, you know, jogging a little bit, but they're getting a break. Like offensive players aren't playing full speed the whole entire time. And people are going to send me film of their offensive guys doing it. And I'll be excited to watch it. But generally the defensive guys, all 11, are playing. And you can show film. I got probably guys – dogging it you know two guys but in the, in the you know at the end of the day the defense is trying to play that whole entire play and an offense you know the quarterback he carries out his fake he's he's the guy that's best after the game in terms of conditioning he hasn't done anything um he doesn't need to pass no 300 yard shuttle unless you're running them you know 25 times in the game um so i do think yeah nickel and dime those guys to death sit there and throw those slants again and again and make that defensive coordinator, you know, call something different to, you know, to, to try to stop that. It's funny you brought that up. I thought of that, like defensively, you want your defensive lineman to run because if there's a fumble, they're going to fall on it. I'm an offensive line coach and I played O-line. When the ball is past you and you're running down the field, you, something bad's going to happen. You're going to hit somebody in the back. You're going to do something stupid. So you're right. As an offensive line coach, I tell them we block to the whistle. But if the guy goes past you and you stop blocking, it's okay because they're probably trying to go after him anyway. So once they're past you, there's not much you can do. Now you can jog down that way, but you're not sprinting. Yeah. So that's a good point. You didn't piss me off. I'm an online coach. You didn't piss me off. <laughs> well, I, like, I didn't mean it demeaning. I'm just – at the end of the day, if the ball's out on the perimeter and the D-line were sprinting, you know – those O linemen, they know 
the ball is going to be on the left hash. They're going to, you know, waddle over there and they're going to get the next play and they're going to smash you when they run inside zone right at them. And the defense is going to be tired. Those guys are smart. They know when they don't, you know, they can bust their butt and when they can, you know, get a 20 second break. Yeah. And piss me off on the sideline. My foot's going to go up their ass. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> but I play, I know, I know the rules. When the play goes away from me, I don't have to do anything. I know how it works. But those defensive linemen do it too. If they see the O line not doing anything, hey, let's take a break for a second. They just lean on each other and they're like, let's just take a break for a second. Well, well, even like I'll watch the New England Patriots, and obviously everyone knows how great of a coach Bill Belichick is, and I'm sure they do pursuit drill. But I'll see some six million dollar linebacker that gives up on a play, and I'm just like, it even happens to the best people in the NFL where they understand, hey, I'm not gonna make that play. And they make the you know the five million dollar decision to not pursue and, and get blindsided. Again, is it every time? I'm sure Bill Belichick's getting mad at that guy, and you know the position coach grading him down. In the you know, but in the NFL level, it happens too. Somebody takes a playoff, or you know, chooses not to pursue to the football. It, it's happened to all those NFL teams. Well, coach, I'm gonna have to wrap this up. So the last thing, just pitch Rose Holman. Why come to Rose Home? I'm going to give you a free recruitment right now for anybody. Yeah, so uh, for all the high school coaches out here, uh, Rose Holman Institute of Technology, we're an engineering school. Um, why come here is our kids have the highest starting salary of any school in the Midwest um, when they graduate. 99.6% um, of the students here at the school have a job within six months, and every single football player in the nine years that I've been here has had a job, signed a contract by graduation, um, which is really cool. And we have all the engineering majors. Um, and for the state of Illinois, um, we are kind of the engineering school. If that kid can't go to the University of Illinois and play college football, um, there's not another awesome elite engineering option in the state. So we love Illinois kids. About 33% of our roster um, are Illinois kids. So obviously, we do really well in Indiana. We do really well in Ohio. But I think the cool thing about our school is they're going to have a great time playing football for the next four years of their career, but they're going to have a great job for the next 40 years of their career. They're going to be set. There's so many kids that came from nothing, um, from small towns in Illinois, from big, large cities in California that weren't you know, well off, but they graduated from here and they're instantly in the top 1% in our country in terms of knowledge. Um, and salaries and uh yeah our kids will have to take out some loans but we actually have the lowest default rate in the whole entire state of indiana we're top 20 percent in the country in terms of lowest de default rate on loans because our kids get jobs that's what this place is known about um and so uh our kids are just as driven um in the classroom as they are on the field so i'm blessed to coach here and i'm very fortunate uh to have all these really good kids that i'm able to coach every year and Division Three football is good football. That's a misconception, I think. It's good football because they love football. Yeah, no, and and we have kids. We have a kid right now had an Army offer, Division One Army offer. Didn't want to go to the military. Um, we got kids that had Division Two and NAI offers that passed up because those schools that had offered them weren't as great at engineering. So we'll get some kids that are scholarship type football players that realize that they're not going to go to the NFL, and that's not their dream that they want to be the best mechanical engineering for uh, SpaceX that they can be. And School X that offered them a full-ride Division II scholarship 
doesn't even have engineering, they're not going to get him to SpaceX, and we can here at Rose Holman. Well, there's your free recruitment. There you go. All right, Coach, thank you for doing this. I got to skedaddle. But I appreciate you coming on, guys, out there. Wear your masks so we can have a season. Coach, good luck for your season. I'll, thank you. I'll be try to figure out or watch if we don't have a season. Who knows? All right, guys, I'll see you guys later next time. See ya. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.